in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Devin McKenna, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies, then talk about them. I am your host, Chad Robinson, and I'm happy to be joined today by my good friend and co-host, Brian Fry. Brian, say hello to our fans. Good evening, everybody. How are we doing this evening? I'm doing great. To borrow Russell's lines, I'm very excited. Do you know why I'm excited, Brian? Because Soderbergh's awesome. <laughs> that too, but uh, we have a first-time guest, and it's not only a first-time guest, it's a crossover episode. So joining us from the Classic Film Jerks podcast, Mr. Andrew Bloom. Andrew, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. It's Sandra Bloom here. How are you guys doing? <laughs> very good. Wonderful, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah, we are We are very excited. Russell actually introduced me to this podcast, so listen to them. A couple episodes, subscribed, which I definitely recommend you guys do for us, too. Uh, not just classic film jerks, but anyone that's listening to this. So we want to talk to you, Andrew, and get to know you a little better before we break down our movie. So we'll get started with a couple of warm-up questions. Sure. So where are you from, and what made you want to do a classic film podcast? I am from a town called London in Canada, and we started this podcast in 2011. I had to look it up today because my memory doesn't go that far back. And really, I think the whole idea behind it was Michael DiGiovanni and myself, we're doing another podcast and it was kind of phasing out and we thought, you know, we've been fans of movies our whole lives, but we've never, ever watched the movies on the AFI Top 100, at least not many of them. So we kind of set it out as our goal to watch all 100 and, of course, talk about it. Very good. And how far have you gotten through that list? Uh, two. No. <laughs> we, <laughs> Good to have gold. <laughs> yeah, you set them, you just don't do them. We, uh, I think we're over halfway through now because what we've started to get, which is really nice, is people re making requests. So then uh, we get requests, and at Halloween we do a Halloween movie. They're never on that list. And at Christmas we do a Christmas movie, and they're rarely ever on that list. So we often we only get to a couple off of the list every year. Yeah. What's been your favorite ones? Oh my gosh. Favorite one so far. I really enjoyed Bridge Over the River Kwai. Oh, yes. Yeah, and that we did way back when. Like, I've had a lot of movies that I've enjoyed. I find it's, it's more fun when you don't enjoy the movie to talk about them. Because <laughs> you can pick them apart. Yes. But, yeah, but it's when you... It's spicier. It is yeah, spicier. Yeah, when you both like it, then it's like, yeah, good. Yeah, it was good. Okay. Well, now what? <laughs> well, hold that thought. <laughs> we'll we'll move 
We'll move on to the next question, though. What's the last movie you saw, Andrew? Um, oddly, so the last movie we did was Star Wars. I don't think I have to explain that one to you. Because it's on there, even though the the premise of the show is to watch movies we haven't seen before. Obviously, we've seen that one. Oh, I should hope so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brian, how about you? What's the last movie you saw? I watched The Dumpster Fire that is Wonder Woman 1984. Mm. I keep hearing bad things about that. That's so disappointing. I mean, it's worth watching, I I suppose. I mean, there's worse things you can do with two hours of your time, but not much. (laughs) Well, speaking of bad superhero movies, my last one was Venom. And I... At the end of Venom, it was available on Amazon Prime for a buck fifty. I was like, yeah, why not? I was like, well, that was stupid. But it was good stupid. So I, I'm going to recommend it, but not on the... If you want to go see Captain America the Winter Soldier, like an actual thoughtful good superhero movie, Venom ain't it. But if you just want to watch bad guys get eaten, this is your movie. I'm I'm disappointed I missed out on the Venom for dollar ninety nine. I'd I'd drop two bucks on it. I've definitely spent buck two dollars on worse things than that. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right, buck fifty. Even better. <laughs> so Andrew, what movie have you guys covered on classic film jerks that you would most want to remake? Oh, that's a good question. Because often during the podcast we always talk about you know, what if it wasn't made, who'd you cast today, whatever. One of the ones that I would just love to see remade is Easy Rider. And probably not for the good reason that you're thinking. I hated that film. Oh, no. And, okay. yeah, I, uh, for whatever reason, didn't strike a chord with me. And I would just love to see it done again to see what could be done with it. I know a lot of people probably hate me now for saying that. But <laughs> I, uh, I, I would definitely like to see that one done again. I liked your ideas. I was listening to The Bride of Frankenstein. I'm a huge horror fan. I listened to your podcast on that, and I liked mm-hmm. your recast for that. I really liked Eva Green as uh, mm-hmm. as the bride. I think that's fun. And I know Brian's in support of Eva Green and whatever. I I would support Eva Green in whatever endeavor she would like to do. <laughs> yes, you could cast her as Frankenstein's monster, and that's just fine. Yeah, whatever she wants, <laughs> yep. whatever she wants to do. Before we dig into the movie, tell us where our listeners can find the Classic Film Jerks podcast, Andrew. Yeah, so we are on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, pretty much anywhere you can get your hands on a podcast. We found a way to sneak our way in there. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and also, I think if for email, it's classicfilmjerks at gmail.com. Excellent. It's a very funny show. It's a very fun show, so please check it out. Do us a favor, do them a favor, do yourselves a favor, check it out. Now we're going to reintroduce our movie. Brian, we help us reintroduce Out of Sight from 1999. Absolutely. Out of Sight was directed by Steven Soderbergh. Uh, this guy, I'm, I'm just a fan of crime movies, so this guy's a lot of fun for me. Uh, this movie is starring George Clooney, Jennifer Lopez, Ving Rames, Don Cheadle, Catherine Keener, Steve Zahn, Dennis Ferreira and Albert Brooks, excuse me, Farina. Uh, its release date was 1998. It grossed 37 and about a half million dollars. Placed 53rd in the box office that year. 
it was ahead of How Stella Got Her Groove Back and behind Urban Legend. Jared Leto. Dude, I, I was trying <laughs> to keep him out of one podcast. <laughs> uh, number one movie that year was Titanic. Its IMDb rating is 7. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 93, and the audience score gave it a 74. So critics liked it better than the people. It got Entertainment Weekly's uh, Sexiest Film Ever on their 50 Sexiest Movies Ever list, and uh, also number nine of their top 25 modern romances. Uh, it was nominated but not did not make it on the AFI's 100 Years 100 Thrills list. Yes, so we've got a, uh, a sexy crime film that uh, sort, of, sort of has the crash syndrome of critics love it, audiences like, me. Maybe not, but did not do very well for a George Clooney vehicle. Mm. So for our expectations, Andrew, we'll start with you. Had you seen Out of Sight before? I had. It's been quite some time, but I yeah, I have seen this. Oh, geez. A long, a long time. Well, considering it came out in 98, I saw it a long time ago. Yeah. What what were your expectations coming in this time? I would. So this time I watched it with with my wife. And I swear, I said to her, hey, dear, we've seen this before, but I want to watch it for the podcast. And she was like, oh, I don't think I've seen this. And I was like, oh, oh it might have been someone else. Okay. And, <laughs> and uh, so I thought I figured it would be ta- a cheesy. Like, I didn't know if it would hold up. I when I first saw this, it was probably around 2001. I uh, I remembered really enjoying this movie. I, I enjoyed the way it was put together and cut and i thought this is going to be super cheese and i'm going to look back and think oh man i had really bad taste back then oh okay right well brian how about you have you seen out of sight i originally had this movie on vhs and ironically never ended up getting it on dvd so it was one of those ones that i'd kind of forgotten about for a while but it is something that I had seen, I'd owned at one, you know, one point in time and, and just sort of lost touch with it. So I was really excited when it came up to do this podcast because I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good movie. I like that. Okay. All right. And this movie was new to me when we were going through our suggestion list from our guest. Andrew, I looked at this and said, here's a George Clooney movie I haven't seen. I like George Clooney. It seems like he's playing kind of the roguish character that George Clooney is so good at. I'll pick that one. And then I looked at the cast list and said, oh, no, this has Jennifer Lopez, and that usually does not go down well with me. Uh, <laughs> her best movie might be Anaconda. But, uh, Money train. <laughs> uh, so this was a completely new experience for me. So I, I look forward to talking to, to you guys about it because you've seen it. You've had, uh, had time to kind of digest it and see it again as well. So this will be fun. We're going to take a short advertisement break. After that, I'm going to spoil the movie for you. So if you haven't seen 1998's Out of Sight, check that out first and then come back to us. We'll be back in a second. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks podcast on all the major platforms. And we're back. So as a reminder, I'm about to spoil 1998's Out of Sight. If you haven't seen it, go check it out and come back to us. 
career bank robber Jack Foley, who's played by George Clooney, he finally gets caught after his car floods in the parking lot. Imprisoned but not defeated, the smooth-talking Foley manages to escape along with his friends Buddy Bragg, played by Ving Rhames, and sunglasses-wearing Glenn Michaels, played by Steve Zahn. While escaping, Foley and Bragg are confronted by Jennifer Lopez's Karen Sisko, who's a U.S. Marshal. The gang takes Sisko hostage and Foley shares a romantic moment with Sisko in the trunk during the escape. They meet up with Maurice Snoopy Miller, a hardened criminal who happens to know where some very valuable diamonds are stored. Glenn ducks out of the job after Maurice forces him to help him kill a drug dealer, and Sisko escapes. Sisko pursues Foley, but the viewer is left to question whether she's doing so out of a sense of justice or love. So we see Sisko climb into the bathtub with Foley, pants suit completely on, instead of just arresting him. So at the diamond job, things go horribly wrong, and Maurice's gang do what criminals do. Foley kills one of them who is attempting to sexually assault the housekeeper, and Maurice turns on Foley. Just in the nick of time, Sisko shows up and shoots Maurice and arrests Foley. Buddy slips away with the diamonds. As Foley's being loaded into a prisoner van, he finds out Sisko has arranged for Mace Windu himself to be transferred with Foley, and it just so happens that the criminal has escaped from prison nine prior times. The movie ends with Sisko smiling as the van leaves, knowing she's really bad at her job. <laughs> Solid. Our movie today is based on an Elmore Leonard novel, and we'll just jump right into the screenplay plot discussion. Guys, what did you think of Out of Sight? As far as it, it goes for a movie, like th- this holds my attention front to back. I know you mentioned before you didn't really like Jennifer Lopez in it, but I think uh, the character, or sorry, you didn't like Jennifer Lopez usually. But I think the character that she plays in it helps you forget a little bit that it's Jennifer Lopez. I thought that I well, I enjoyed this movie. I liked it the first time I saw it and I liked it still today watching it however many like decades later. It's interesting. I don't know if this was one of her earlier movies. I really should have done more research on this, but I feel like this was an early appearance of Jennifer Lopez. Mm -hmm. I know with George Clooney, everyone was praising him like this was his big breakout movie and this was the first time we've really seen him. Like, From Dust Till Dawn was 1996. Does that movie not exist, anyone? That was great. That was a great mm. Clooney vehicle. Go see that one. I do feel like that that movie was widely overlooked, except in the niche of kind of Tarantino, rabid folks who enjoy that sort of market like this is a much more mainstream accessible film than i would say dust till dawn was and also you you kind of forget clooney's in that movie like you remember oh yeah it's about vampires and it changes but you forget that clooney's all tatted up and and in that film and it it's not like it was bad it just you don't think of that as much or i don't as a clooney movie that's true. It, it feels more like a Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino vehicle than it does a George Clooney movie. Yeah, yeah I'm sure that even though I love From Dust Till Dawn, if you told me to rattle off George Clooney movies until I could stop, I'm not even sure if that would have made the list. 
Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. I did see a lot of comments. It, it was apparently the swoop-backed hair coming from male critics. They're like, he's far more handsome, so he changed his haircut for this movie, and <laughs> off he went. Sky's the limit for swoop-backed hair George Clooney. But, <laughs> but Brian, this feels like your comfort food. The Oh, yeah. The crime movie. Yeah, Elmore Leonard, I really enjoy his books, too. He's actually the person behind the TV show Justified as well. So if you like this kind of thing, I highly recommend this guy's books because they do lend themselves really well for heroes, villains, and anti-heroes, for that matter, just the way he writes. So anytime they kind of co-opt one of his projects uh, or books for a film or TV show, I'm usually game. I... I this style movie where it's it's not an action film, there's definitely not enough action in it for you to say, oh, yeah, it's action. It's got that era of suspense. I thought they did the sexuality in this movie very well. It's tense where it needs to be tense. It's hot where it needs to be hot. They really touch on a lot of different things. And, you know, when you read something and it says, OK, well, it's kind of a comedy. Sure. Uh, it's got the crime. Sure. It's got the drama. It's actually got romance. So it, it covers a lot of bases and I feel like it has a lot to share with its audience, regardless of, you know, who goes to see it and why. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, watching this with your wife, even, even if it was a new experience, did she in her experience of like, Oh, that was a hot movie. That was great. That was a romance movie or was there too much crime? Um, no, she, she really enjoyed it. I I don't know. My mom was in the room, oh, no. so I think the hot movie part of it was was a, was lost. <laughs> but I I will say this, <laughs> God, so uncomfortable. The uh, I will say this. I, in the past, when I have recommended movies for guys, when they're like, ah, "What's a movie I can watch on a date or with a girl that I'm dating or whatever it is?" Nine times out of ten, I'm saying out of sight. One because I always thought it was an overlooked film. Two. If you're not, if they're like, if you're not getting lucky after watching this movie with the person you're with, then you've got clear signs that you're in the friend zone and, yeah. and it's enjoyable, it's not happening. right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought that this was, I've always touted this in my mind as the sexiest movie. And I mean, it won awards for, I didn't even realize that for a movie that shows nothing. Yeah. They don't, they don't even make out like they, like you barely see it. You barely see anything. They, they, it's such a great scene that they've got. Um, and a lot, I, I'd say a lot of chemistry between the two of them. Yeah, that's, I really should have done literally any homework ahead of time for this movie because I watched it by myself. And that's, mm. that may have dramatically affected my enjoyment of this movie because I'm, <laughs> I'm watching it and I'm like, this is setting women back years. They, they make fun of Jennifer Lopez and the U.S. Marshal, and there's the sexism of it. But the first opportunity that she has to deal with a handsome criminal, she falls in love with him, doesn't arrest him, and then arranges for him to escape. It's like, all right, you know, this is this is not a female empowerment vehicle, but uh, if you're looking for a Twilight-type romance. Yeah. You know. It's still 1998. Oh, she, she... Like, they still didn't have everything perfect. <laughs> You know, she wasn't making great choices in the first place. Yeah, like they, they alluded to that, love. right? Yeah. No, it's fine. It's it's just odd. It's like here's our female marshal. She's the book actually featured her on the cover with a shotgun. She's mm -hmm. supposed to be this awesome character, 
And it's like, okay, she makes silly, silly decisions time and time again, and is largely bad at her job. Well, I think that the, this is the only spot like where you look and you're kind of like, it's a little inconsistent because she's tough. I, I get the sense that she's tough, but then she's also kind of makes bad choices. So she's, you know, dating a guy who's married. There was a another bank robber that she had dated in the past. She's got it. She's got a, a thing for the bad guy. And in this case, what a handsome bad guy. So, I mean... Karen Sisko, good for you, I guess, but yeah, you're fine. Oh, I, I get it. I get swooning over George Clooney. If I were in a trunk with George Clooney, I'd be following him too. But that's, uh, she would be removed from the capital response team. She would be one of the, like, 12 that we've just removed. It's like, no, you can't guard the president because you might fall in love <laughs> with one of the protesters. Yeah, I was just going to say, but, you know, he's not very good at his job either. So, <laughs> like, do you, do you just feel like their chemistry or, like, they're two people that were able to find that middle ground because neither of them were really far enough in their correct direction to make it work on its own. <laughs> that was the original the original tagline for the movie. Two people crappy at their job. Yes. Might as well get together. Yeah, he's, right? he's robbed hundreds <laughs> of banks, but is driving like a to- yeah. Toyota Tercel. What is... But he's not even... He's not even necessarily... Well, he just gotten out. That's why he was at that job interview. But... Anyway, it's not even necessarily that either of them are bad at their job full time. It's just they both have made bad decisions in the past, culminating in this additionally bad decision. You have two extremely good looking people who get together and it's a rule that they must sleep together. No, they I, I, I don't think Clooney's bad at his job. I think he has that's bad. Like it's kind of bad luck there, because I'm going to say one of my favorite scenes in this movie is how he robs that bank yes. at the beginning. Yeah, that was brilliant. Just sees the open briefcase like, and sets that guy up for a lifetime in jail. Yeah. The only funny thing is, is who goes to a job interview with tape on their fingers? Yeah. Just got <laughs> a joint, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Brian. Brian's probably had quite a few weird job interviews of people doing strange things. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen some. I've seen some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. He seemed pretty comp- competent and pretty smart this, with the prison escape, the the initial one where he's setting people up, he's playing the guards off. You know, poor Luis Guzman doesn't work out for him. That was a weird role for Luis Guzman. But I I don't want to criticize him too much, but the accent was very strange. Yeah, that whole scene was kind of weird, and I don't know if we we're going to talk about it later, but it got a that's where it got a little bit silly to me like he's so obsessed with finding Adele Delisi like his that his former wife I get it to get revenge on Jack Foley for what he did but then he's so obsessed with magic and then when he's she's like Karen Cisco has him on the ground puts him in cups and he's going oh no I got a pee pee got a pee pee <laughs> and you're like that got that went from a good kind of scene to a silly scene well this is first billed as a comedy I mean the first word mm-hmm that they use for genre here and Guzman's character is definitely, you know, that comedic aspect. But here's the thing, even though Clooney kind of sold him out, like her being there wasn't part of the plan. And all that would have really happened is when the guard woke up, they'd know they were gone, which presumably that would have happened during a count overnight anyway. So 
I thought it was weird that Luis Guzman just went immediately to George Clooney set me up when he was trying to escape too. He didn't see him come out in the guards uniform or anything. It just seemed like a weird leap that it was like all of a sudden, Oh, it must've been Clooney who did it. You know, I never put that together. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, if the guard, yeah, if the guard had sold him out, then wouldn't, wouldn't they have changed their plan? I, I don't know. It just, it, I don't know how he made the leap to, oh, obviously it was George Clooney. The only thing is if he found out that Clooney also escaped and when he told him he wasn't going to or something. That's the only thing I can think is that you yeah, know, he that. saw in the paper. But yeah, that that was a bit of a, a bit of a plot hole. One thing I wanted to ask, so I watched it with my wife and one of the early scenes, obviously he breaks out of jail and he's in the trunk with Jennifer Lopez uh, he decides, this girl's hot. I'm going to kidnap her. And she's like, it's really creepy. He's being creepy. Yes. And I didn't really think that the first couple times I saw it going way back because I was so into like their conversation and whatever. And then you realize he's got his hand on her. He's covered in mud and crap. And she's so calm. Yeah. Do you think it's because she's so well trained or because it's poorly written? I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and just say that was survival for her of just play it cool, calm and go along with what he's doing. But I agree. It was creepy. Like these lines do not work unless you look like George Clooney. And then you can say practically anything you want. <laughs> you know, if if I'm doing that, it's not going to work. You're going to get slapped. Yeah. Or worse. Shot. Yeah, she, she didn't even know what he, the thing is, it's not like she looked and went, Hey, George Clooney, you're really good. Look oh God, you're capturing me. It was, it was this guy dressed like a guard is covered in mud or or poop, and you tackled me, and, and I can't even see you. Yeah, and Ving Rhames is involved, who is a massive human being. You don't mess with Ving mm -hmm. Rhames. I kind of felt like he was under underutilized. Like I wanted more of Ving Rhames just doing Ving Rhames things, even if it's Rain of Fire, Ving Rhames. He he was he was a more minor part in this than I think I would have liked to. You really can't go wrong with having more Ving Rhames. <laughs> <laughs> when you're yeah, when you're putting together a recipe, more Ving Rhames is always what you ask for. Was this early for him too? I think so. When was Pulp Fiction? This was after Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it had to be. But, no, I was trying to think. Like Pulp, first couple movies I remember seeing him in were Pulp Fiction and uh, Mission Impossible One. Yeah. Were probably the first two films I recall yeah. seeing. Pulp Fiction was ninety four, so he's in that, and then Mission Impossible is ninety six. So yeah, okay. yeah. So it was like the decade of Ving Rhames, or at least the so beginning. yeah. He was. I mean, he so, was huge. He really was. Oh, he was in Bringing Out the Dead. I forgot about that. Okay. I like. Yeah, I liked. I mean, his character. I think because his character was so likable, if they used him more. You w it would have taken away from George Clooney. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. As far as we'll go into the, the cast, we've been talking about him a lot, but uh, Sandra Bullock was originally cast as Cisco. Soderbergh didn't like how it played out. He said Clooney and Sandra Bullock had good chemistry, but it didn't feel like the novel's chemistry. They actually mm. wound up cast together, uh, Clooney and Bullock, in interstellar so they were a couple then had the chemistry 
Elmore himself envisioned Jack Nicholson or Sean Connery as Jack Foley. So I'll, I'll put that one out there. How do you guys feel about Jack Nicholson or Sean Connery here? Elmore Leonard's like, salt and pepper's here. <laughs> <laughs> I I really don't like those choices. But it maybe if, maybe if you asked me before I saw it and I knew what the character was, like if you just described, you know, a uh, handsome rogue, jewel thief, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I just feel... I. I feel like the casting that they ended up with was was spot on. Sean Connery at this point, like The Rock was somewhere around this time, maybe a little earlier. So mm. that's what he looked like. Yeah, it's I don't want to see. Oh, he was a he was a thief in entrapment. That was like ninety nine. Yeah, I, I don't want to see Sean Connery at that point in his career in a trunk with Jennifer Lopez uttering the lines that George Clooney was. It's like you're her dad. That's creepy. That's why Roger Moore, Roger Moore quit being Bond because there was a one of the Bond girls was younger than his daughter. And he's just like, no, this is this is not working for me anymore. Right. Yeah. I just want to get her a coat, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just help you out. What's the, this young girl doing out here without a coat? The, the, the other thing is like the way and maybe I'm just in love with with this role, but. The way that Clooney delivers those lines, I don't see either of those actors stumbling over things. Like he seems nervous and and twitchy and kind of like talking about old films and stuff. And I I think he does such a good job at that at being confident, but you know a little bit well, odd in that situation. And he had just broken out of jail. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like his his adrenaline is jacked you know and we've already discussed that neither of them make good decisions so he jumps in the trunk with a beautiful uh u.s marshal so or uh, whatever she was yeah, anyway like mm-hmm. yeah so i mean like i'm sure that's the mo- the smoothest of criminals can falter a bit when your you know heart's beating a mile a minute i mean you've got cop cars passing you on the road you can hear the yeah. sirens and you're like ah so but that's, yeah that's I, what he's good at he was good. Yeah, at I agree with you. I don't think Connery, you know, Connery's smoothness from Entrapment and, and really Entrapment's a very similar movie to this in a lot of ways, being an older gentleman with a younger woman. But he doesn't stumble over anything in that movie. Yeah. yeah. Like there's not, you know, it's just that I'm our, I'm playing chess. You're playing chess. I'm one step ahead. I've already thought this out. It's almost magic. I'm so good at this. And that's not who this character was. Yeah. 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 Uh, I feel like this was kind of a precursor to Oh Brother Where Art Thou. That Jack Foley was kind of a template for the character George Clooney would play in later. It's a very similar film in some aspects. And Clooney nails that one, too. We did a podcast of uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou. That's a movie I hadn't seen. And I was really blown away. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, you just need him to get in the trunk and be like, we're in a tight spot. (laughs) (laughs) I needed him to find some uh, Dapper Dan or something. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, Clooney really was getting hit with this role a lot after this. I mean, well, all right, so let's take Dust, starting at Dust Till Dawn, you got Out of Sight, you got Ocean's Eleven, you've got The American. You know, I I feel like he definitely gets these, you know, not – uh, what do they call it? Is it the the villain with a heart of gold? Anti-hero. The, you know, yeah. the, well, it's the you know, the bad guy with angel wings. I don't know. I mean, 
you even look at Ocean's Eleven, and you're never rooting against George Clooney as the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, because they're worse guys, the casino owners. They beat up someone. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, you you never never bet against Clooney. I right. think is the fair thing, and and you, for whatever reason, you can relate to him, even though he's, you know, super handsome, and whatever role he's playing, he's a bank robber, he's this, he's tattooed, he's doing, what, doesn't matter. I relate to that guy really easily, and yeah. George Clooney always plays George Clooney. Yes, right. Yeah, and the other alternative casting we had, so Adele. Catherine Keener, she was actually slated for Karen Sisko as well. I liked her in the Adele role. I thought she did a really good job. I don't know how I would have felt about the Karen Sisko one. I felt she was almost a little too, I don't know if Miami is what she was going for, but that type of personality for Adele. She did a good job there. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I can. She is quirky and weird and you know, magician's assistant, and she fits the role really well. And I know she's an actress and would probably be able to act very differently in the other role, but I just don't, I don't see that having the same effect coming from her. Yeah. We'll jump into the film's creation. Our, our producer, Danny DeVito, hasn't been in anything, mm-hmm. doesn't do anything. No, never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> Always sunny in Philadelphia. I'll cite, mm-hmm. uh, he was the penguin in Batman for Russell. Just to just get that out there. Michael Schomburg also helps out, and Stacy Sure. I don't know when Devito got into producing, but this had to be one of his earlier productions, I would think. And our direct yeah, our director Brian's already mentioned him, Steven Soderbergh. He has done a lot, a lot of other films one might even say he uh specializes in crime yes yeah logan lucky being one of the newer crime films that i've actually seen a lot of these honestly i hadn't heard of behind the candelabra or side effects things like that but brian's mentioned oceans 11 12 did he not do traffic yeah, he didn't do oceans 13 that was very strange king of the hill which is not the TV show, Aaron Brockovich, Traffic. Yeah, he really likes crime. So this is mm-hmm. this is his thing. What do you guys think about Steven Soderbergh here? I, I do like, uh, speaking specifically about this movie, he made a couple of really smart choices. I, I felt like the way it was filmed, he had those odd, well, could have been the editor, but I believe it was probably him, the pausing of some of the scenes in... in sometimes strange spots and sometimes just perfect where it was just holding that moment just for a second, which is kind of a, a bit odd. I, uh, I would like to, I'd say I'm a fan, even though, like you said, I look through, I, I, you know, I've seen the limey, I've seen Aaron Brockovich, but a lot of these movies on here, I'm like, Oh, well, I don't, I haven't seen bubble. <laughs> I haven't seen th- these other ones, but generally when I, if someone told me you're going to see a movie by this guy, I'm like, I'm in. I'll go watch that. Yeah, Magic Mike is not on my list of movies to see. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Generally speaking. Yeah. My, yeah. It, it seems out of genre for him, but maybe that's the sexiness of the films that he wants to get in. He, one of his early films is called Sex, Lies, and Videotape. So he may be injecting that with things like Full Frontal and Eros. Brian, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned you're a fan. Give you a minute to talk about I am. 
Um, I'm just wondering, I had a thought while, while you were talking about the, the pauses, is that not a specific moment that he is using to show time frame? Like when he throws his tie at the, in the beginning, that's important because you see him then leaving, getting thrown out by security and why he was there in the first place. Yeah. What drove him to sporadically rob the Sun Trust across the street? I think he uses those pauses to kind of be like, you need to cement this in your head because we're coming back to it. Yeah. And yeah, I just I can't say enough good things about this guy. I've really enjoyed uh, Logan Lucky was phenomenal. Uh, my wife liked Magic Mike. <laughs> Don't know why. Uh, I even enjoyed Haywire, which was by and large not a well liked movie. So even his his quote unquote failures are still an enjoyable watch. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, if somebody's calling me up and he goes, hey, you want to go see the new Soderbergh film? I'm like, uh, what time? Fair enough. Yep. Yeah, I, I think I'm a mixed bag. I liked Logan Lucky. I don't think that would be it. A lot of these would not be hits with my wife, but maybe I have to go see the Magic Mites. We watched The Hunger Games. He was the second unit director on that one. So that's that's not really his fault, but I just don't think that series was geared for me. It's not really his fault. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Don't put Hunger Games on <laughs> Well, here, look. I mean, Good German was great. The Oceans movies were great. Yes. I don't, you know, stop me if you if I run into something here, you're like, meh. But Contagion I enjoyed. Solaris was enjoyable. Yeah. Traffic, Aaron Brockovich. I, it's yeah, sex lies videotape was also good and you know there's probably a third of the ones on the list here that i haven't seen either so i can't you know swear to everything he's ever done what one thing i was i was going to mention is that back going back from you know 1985 say 1989 sex lies videotapes all the way to you know the laundromat which apparently is supposed to be pretty good i haven't seen it he's still relevant he does, he, you know, he has ups and downs like everybody, but it's not like some people who are who have a really good early career, maybe have one or two good movies and then just release crap afterwards. I think I think he's he's put enough good out in the world that he can be hailed as a good director. Sure. I was. So he's not M. Night Shyamalan. Can we call him the uh, American Guy Ritchie? I think that's I think that's fair. I would say he's I would that's fair. Uh, I don't know if I, I hope would say I like him better than <laughs> No, I was I meant I like Guy Ritchie, but I feel like he's lost step a little bit. I'm not 100% I don't I'm uncomfortable saying that cuz I just love his his stuff, but I don't know if he's holding it up still. And I sure. feel like Soderbergh is. Yeah, I watched this movie and at the end of it my first thought was, did this film really need to be 123 <laughs> minutes? Like, it just, it was one of those things. So we just did JFK, where it's like three and a half hours long. So maybe I'm a little testy about length of movies. We've watched Amadeus was a very long one as well. So I'm like, why couldn't this not be a more concise, uh, maybe 100 minutes, maybe, maybe 115, something. But there had to be some scenes here it just felt indulgent it felt like i don't want to throw quentin tarantino in here but he's got properties of tarantino i'll, I'll agree it with that mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, he does dwell on some of the conversations, which some of them I really enjoyed. I wanted more Glenn. I I like Glenn. He's the guy I associate with. He's got the goofy glasses. He just he doesn't really want to be involved in the crime. He just wants to be there in the car. And I'm up for that. I I identify with that. Just hang out with the guys, whatever. Oh, you want me to kill someone? Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you later. What's this? A saw? I'm leaving. <laughs> if I see a saw come out of a bag or a hatchet, okay, guys, party's over. I'm going home. The <laughs> I didn't feel, I didn't feel the time in this movie as much. Like I, I didn't feel like it was dragging too much. I, it is paced. It is deliberate in a lot of, in a lot of spots. Could it be trimmed up? Likely. But I think sometimes there, there's a, a good pacing to things. Like the whole scene with Karen Sisko and Jack Foley in the apartment, or sorry, in the hotel, that needed to be long. That needed to be slow because it paints a picture for you. And I think maybe, like you're saying, you watch this by yourself. Maybe that's giving enough time so you're, you know, you can snuggle up. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think I have to give this another shot with my wife. Or, you know, I don't know why I just had a kid there. I have no other options. My wife or oh god, I'm my bad. wife. Yeah, my wife or my cats, which is not a good option. But yeah, I, I I do some of those longer scenes. I looked at the bathtub scene, and I'm just like, this probably could have been done differently. So I criticize him mm-hmm. there. But maybe Jennifer Lopez had a clause of, hey, I'm I'm not taking off any clothes. Doesn't have to be naked, but like getting in the bathtub with the pantsuit on. Like, what is this decision? What are, what are you doing here? She had a gun on him. Just slowly creeps in, checking him out while he's bathing. Then just into the bathtub. You can't explain dreams, man. <laughs> I, I guess. I guess. And, you know, I think he almost remained too faithful. Maybe it was a clause with uh, Elmore's novel. But why have your big bad guy have the nickname of Snoopy? I mean, just change it. Maurice Miller, don't have him be Snoopy. Have him be anything else that doesn't conjure a pet beagle. <laughs> Do you guys ever get I, – I know they kind of make fun of this a little bit when they did the skit where Don Cheadle was Captain Planet. But I have a hard time with Don Cheadle as a bad guy. Yes. Yeah. I have a really – I just – I maybe it's just too much you know, war machine love. I, I don't – he's just he's, – he's a funny guy. He can do serious. I'm not trying to make it out like that. It's just his – yeah, he has, I, he has an honest face. Yeah, what, I yeah, think that's what it is. It doesn't look like he could be doing now. The like Snoop in this, he is he's a bad guy. Like he's we're not joking around. Like he does things, but yeah, sometimes when you look at him, you're like you get taken out of it a little bit because he doesn't look like a bad guy. Yeah, I think that's going to be tough for most people that are coming into this movie now. Because like yeah. Brian said. We know him as War Machine. My first introduction to him was Hotel Rwanda. And again, he's not playing a bad guy. He is doing his best to preserve people from being slaughtered. So that was such a strange and bad, honestly, casting choice for me. Because he was trying his hardest. He's doing the best he can, but I I don't buy it. Yeah, I, (laughs) I I think you're hitting it on the head, though. This is a matter of timing. This is 1998. 
Don Cheadle, not really that well known at this point. He delivers some great lines in this one. Like, I love, come on, Glenn, you know if I say this is my car, you know this is my car. You get yourself another one. (laughs) And I'm like, that is great the way he delivers that. And it's also, I think, so I'm going back a little, a little, maybe a little bit on what I say. He does look, he doesn't look like a villain. However, he's also supposed to be seen as a joke through Jack Foley's eyes. Because no one would be that tough to a real bad guy. Like, Jack Foley doesn't use guns, he doesn't do whatever, he's so cool that he's like, this is a terrible shakedown, you're an idiot, calls him Snoop, does whatever. Like, he's not afraid of this guy. So he knows something we don't about this bad guy, that he's not afraid of him. Well, let me say something else on that. But I think it's also fair to assume that as somebody who plays the confidence game, the way that George Clooney's character does, wouldn't you say that the only way to deal with someone like that is to be tough to them because these are guys who can smell weakness. And if you give them a hint of that in any way of fear, then you might as well just shoot yourself in the head. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're totally right. Uh, they do. A, I think they do a great job with that. I think I like Don Cheadle's lines, but you're right. You now that now how you know him, you're kind of like, ah, I wish it was someone that we didn't know. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that may come up a little bit later. As far as the cinematography in this movie, honestly, it, nothing really stood out to me. There, You guys are talking about the pause cuts, which I, I think is something that just, it went above my head when I watched mm-hmm. this. But I didn't notice anything out of the ordinary or really cinegraphic. No. I completely butchered that word. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. There were a couple scenes which I I think were reserved for the uh, quote-unquote love scene. I thought that was filmed well. I thought they did a, a good job um, where Jennifer Lopez is getting hit on by those guys in the bar. And then rather than showing Clooney walk up directly, they shoot a reflection of him in the window. And he just walks up and delivers the, you know the line that I will probably talk about later, but where he just like yeah. coolly says, buy a drink. Yeah. So I thought that was shot well, but generally it's pretty straightforward. So as far as this movie goes, it it was set in the late nineties. There's nothing nothing timed skip or anything like that. It it does do the what was it, six years or something ago, and then brings it up to modern day. But it's all set in the nineties, mm-hmm. down in Florida. Uh, the set design, I actually thought it was nice. It, it was a real house that they used for Ripley's Mansion, but the interior was the set. And I thought that was a really nice uh, interior set. I thought it was probably the best part of the movie. I don't know. I couldn't find out. I assume it was a real prison that they just borrowed, borrowed their yard while no one was out or they were all in their cells. But maybe they built a prison set as well. But how do you guys feel about all of this being set in Florida? I mean, I I think this could have been set anywhere. They could have said this is anywhere. They could have used Buffalo, New York instead of Detroit. I that really wasn't a hang up or or a consideration for me. Yeah, Buffalo. Okay, you want you want to uh, you want Ice Harvest 2.0. I don't know where Ice Har- I can't remember hey, that, where Ice Harvest was that, set. That was Wichita Falls. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. How can I forget that line? Uh, I I can see the requirement for having the two 
places like having, you know, Longpoc or wherever the glades in Florida and the, the crime in Detroit sets up for a long tour. It's not so easy to get to. They have some travel to go to. I, I enjoy how they, they, they filmed Detroit. I thought it looked pretty good. It's not unrecognizable today, but it, I thought it was, I thought it was good. But like you're saying, it could have been two other states that were far apart. Yeah, this almost feels to me, and maybe they leaned into it. I, don't, I can't remember where the Oceans movies were taking place, but it feels like it could have been in that same cas- casino type environment, mm-hmm. like Las Vegas or or wherever, and it wouldn't have really mattered. I kind of wanted more Florida flavor or Detroit, either one. It did feel a bit generic. As far as, far as wardrobe and costumes, I don't really feel like anyone would have stretched Maybe that's because I'm just coming off of Amadeus, which is a period piece, so everything's going to feel like, okay, we went with pantsuits and, you know, Clooney's just, he's wearing suits in the beginning, he's wearing jail outfits, and then just kind of dirty from that point on. But there's nothing, there wasn't anything that stood out to me. So a funny thing about the wardrobe in this movie that I never really noticed the first time I watched it until I was really doing notes for our podcast for this specific one. I think the wardrobe thing, the comment to be had about this, because they really do the generic, you know, uh, prison garb. So but no, it's suits. All right. So Clooney, the whole time, I'm always like, wow. This suit's really cool. Like, it's got the red inlay in the mm-hmm. beginning sequence that comes up later. Like, he's got a – and she even mentions it at one point. She goes, you really wear that suit. Then you got John Don Cheadle stealing the dude's suits. He goes, oh, those are my suits? And Nah, these are my suits. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, and then Clooney freaks out when he's like, what size are you? And he brings in the, the security guard suit. So I feel like that suits were a – a part of this movie that they, they were something that were, it was continuously brought up because the suit makes the man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's mm-hmm. a good point that I, I didn't think about very much. One of the things that was not noticed by me was noticed by my wife who's watching it. She right away said, Oh, look at this. You can tell this is 98 by the, by the suits. Suits are a little bit oversized. This is a little bit this, a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay. I, I saw the inside of the red jacket. I'm like, that's cool. But yeah, she really noticed the that the time they used because it was not a period piece. They, the the fashion was of that time. That's something I didn't know. So that's yeah. a good point about the suits. I didn't really think about that. I think that's really smart. Yeah, I did notice the suits were a little bit oversized, and that is definitely. Late 90s, early 2000s, till we got the the slimming, tight-fit, custom-tailored suits later on in the 2000s. Special effects and lighting. I thought the lighting in the trunk scene was nice. The mansion was well-lit. There was this nice yellow light in the background. The trunk scene in particular was funny to me because it said they shot it 43 times and then didn't wind up using any of those takes. They actually had to reshoot it. And Jennifer Lopez, she said... I think she auditioned on this with on George Clooney's couch with George Clooney. Ah. And she makes a joke of uh, that's that's the only time she's been on the casting couch. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah, I don't think anything special effects and lighting struck my struck me other than the, the lighting in the back of the car type of thing. But other than that, not so much. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I would agree that I don't think it was a driver in here. They do some fun things in the hotel also, and, you know, definitely the use of that diffused kind of orange glow on everything. But other than that, you know, not, not a whole lot to talk about there. Yeah, and our, our soundtrack was done by DJ David Holmes. He was originally hired to write just a few sections in the main title, but Soderbergh wound up liking what he did so much that he had him score the whole film. He works with him again, and he has him score the Oceans movies. Strangely enough, even though I just watched this one, the music is not sticking with me. I can remember the Oceans movies and their their soundtracks and remember liking them a lot. It, it was almost like a Danny Elfman-type score. But here, the music just didn't stick with me very much. I, I think it was selectively used, which is good for a movie like this that's more character-driven, more dialogue-driven. I felt, I did feel it suited, like it was understated and quieter. Like you didn't have too many really loud scenes, except maybe in the mansion where it was kind of like a jazz drummer just going nuts. The, the, but I, I did kind of like just that simple boom, like where it would carry it through it and had pauses and stuff. I found to me the music was noticeable, but not, not overpowering. I, I liked it. Yeah. yeah, I remember thinking specifically, I was like, oh, it's Ocean's Eleven music. <laughs> like, I, I I didn't look that up either. I was just watching the movie and I was like, okay, so Ocean's Eleven music. Yeah, well, look at Klaus Bedell takes Gladiator and makes it into Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. And it's, it's a far more famous tune now. It's like, oh, I know this from Gladiator. You're cheating. But now it's the Pirates theme. So it's time for our favorite part of the show. Are you guys ready to hand out some movie superlatives? Let's do it. <laughs> Excellent. We'll start with Andrew, our MVP, director, actor, supporting actor, whatever. You can go outside the box. Who is your MVP of Out of Sight? I I got to stick with Clooney on this one. I know that's an easy choice. I thought about Steve Zahn because his character is not in it very much. I love Glenn. Glenn's kind of a, a funny thing, but I, if I'm handing out MVP. Clooney really carries this thing. Yeah, that's a that's a great choice, and I will not penalize you for the obvious one. Brian, how about you? Who's your MVP? I went with the director, Steven Soderbergh, on this one, just because I I like his style. Yes, you make crime movies, you'll be his MVP. Um, I, I'm going with Clooney, too. It had to be Clooney. His charm and charisma make this movie work. You put someone in like Jack Nicholson, I think it's a weirdly different movie that changes the tone altogether. We'll go to Best Supporting Actor. Andrew? Ving Rhames for with Buddy Bragg. He is understated and underutilized, but I gotta say that that makes me think he's. you just want to see more. So that, that can't be it. That's never a bad thing. So I got to give it to yeah. Ving Rhames. I think we both agreed more Ving Rhames is never a bad thing. All right. Brian, who's your best supporting actor? I also have Ving Rhames. I think that he's the clear choice on this. And uh, I mean, I just really enjoy him in movies. Okay. Well, I'm going to upset this by going with Steve Zahn. I really like Glenn Michaels. I wanted more of him. I agree, more Ving Rhames, but I wanted more Glenn. He's just squirrely and funny. 
and not having the heart for the type of jobs that he keeps finding himself in. I had a lot of fun with him and the stupid glasses. <laughs> this is early for, I would not, for him, too, isn't it? For I Steve's would not heart. have done this if, if I wasn't really high right now. <laughs> I just I just <laughs> had to go over there and smoke a joint and... Like, I, oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> not a bad choice at all. He's good. On to our hidden gem. Andrew, who's your hidden gem? Am I allowed movie? to pick two? Because I had a really sure. hard time here. So one thing you got to notice, Viola Davis is in this film. And she plays Snoop's baby mama? Would be, <laughs> be my best guess Perhaps. at that one. But I, I have to put the dad in this, played by Farina. He's great. He's got great one-liners. He's a great supporting dad as well as a supporting character in this movie. I, I really liked him. Yes, and he, I think he was ex-police or played a police role, so he had that background beforehand. Yeah. Brian, who's your hidden gem? I actually also had Dennis Farina. I I, I really enjoy him. He finds his way into his share of crime movies, too. I think he's one of those people, not unlike uh, Brian Dennehy, that finds himself in certain roles all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that, because he fits the part. Okay. Yeah, I really enjoyed him, but I'm once again going to break up this party. I'm going with Michael Keaton's Ray Nicolette. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a throwback to Jackie Brown. Check out our podcast on that. I will shamelessly plug whatever we've done. But yeah, Ray Nicolette is a weird story where he was involved with a Selmar novel and they're different studios. Michael Keaton did this role for free and... I think that's really cool. It's cool that they brought Ray in for this brief part, and Quentin Tarantino insisted, even though they were different studios, let them have it. Let them have this character and just let him be in this movie. So cool throwback to a Quentin Tarantino movie of Jackie Brown. Very hidden, Jimmy. Yes. As far as a recast, you're going to replace one cast member. Andrew, who are you replacing? I'm I'm going to move Louise Guzman out of this one, I think. This was a weird role for him. Yeah, I, like, I think of him in Waiting. <laughs> yeah, I you just... don't mix Mexican and Continental. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I taught you better than that. The thing is, like, I didn't have a, a and I, I don't really have a choice to replace him. I just wanted somebody else to play that character. Yeah, he, he does a very strange, effeminate character. I just, I don't understand what accent he was going for there. I just, at a certain point, I just assume he talks like that. I kind of thought maybe. You think that, eh, that's not his real voice. He's done, ah, he's done other he's things. He's just a so. silly guy, what can I say? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So, so no... No one to replace, just uh, just, just replace just, him. With just find someone on the street. You know what? I'm getting, I'm gonna harken back to uh, a Brian Fry movie. I'm getting Val Kilmer to do this. There you go. Mm. All right, Brian. Brian, who are you recasting? So I was uh, recasting Don Cheadle. I, yeah. I went a different direction with this, but it scratches a lot of itches I have. So I'm gonna explain why. Instead of John Don Cheadle, I would have had Michael Clark Duncan. Because one, okay. who, 
one can't see Michael Clark Duncan as an Xboxer. Two, it would add to the comic relief they're already trying to pull from Cheadle's character anyway with how they call him Snoopy because, you know, he used to be this prize fighter and now he throws fights. And to see a guy like Michael Clark Duncan throw a fight, I think would be even more obvious than Don Cheadle doing it. And third, <laughs> tell me you guys have not fantasized about a movie where Michael Clark Duncan doesn't stand off against Ving Rhames. Yes. So I just feel like that would fit the best in terms of like scratching a lot of itches and Chad, just for you, because you're not a JLo fan. I was scratching my head during the beginning of this podcast, trying to think of who I would cast over her. And I think it would be awesome to have Jillian Anderson. Mm. You know what? Somewhere Russell's ears just perked up and (laughs) Russell really doesn't like Jennifer Lopez and he really likes Jillian Anderson. So yeah. Somewhere Russell is about to call in and be like, yes, that, do that. <laughs> but yeah, I wanted, it's strange because I wanted Michael Clark Duncan in this movie too. Like, somehow this movie is missing him. I don't know why, but yes, yeah, I, I'm for that. I'm also picking on Don Cheadle here. Great actor. I just, it's my fault for the movies I've seen him in first and foremost, but he just does not scream hardened criminal to me. So I went with a more modern casting. Uh, Mark Rose played Tupac in Straight Outta Compton. I kind of want him in this role. Maybe not as comedic. I, I think he could be a little more threatening than Don Cheadle. He hasn't played War Machine. Yeah. Best shot, Andrew? We talked about before, there's not a lot of like super crazy shots in this one, but I have to go with the hotel scene with the two of them and maybe maybe it's not so much a shot but i really love the back and forth where they're peeling each other's clothes off and are pulling their own clothes off and looking at each other who didn't like that part yeah well (laughs) you know i I didn't even know there was a camera there no they i think i i enjoy that but i think that like that whole scene going in where they've got the drink they're sitting there i did find it a little bit odd they were sitting so close together having that drink and then they would show a three-quarter shot from behind Lopez showing Clooney. And it looked like they were four feet apart. And then they would turn. I don't know if they were editing them to make it look like they were sitting almost touching heads. But that was my favorite. Very nice. What about you, Brian? As a one-off, if I could just say that the thing that reminds me of this movie the most is the two of them with their heads that close together with the snow falling in the background and the lighting of that shot. I think that is the quintessential, like, specific screenshot of what this movie is okay yeah i i like that that could be that could be a cover it'd be an odd cover as far as the guns and everything else goes someone's gonna go oh cool jennifer lopez george clooney romance movie oh oh this didn't maybe the guy's happy and the girl's like for me it was the diamond robbery shot with snoopy pointing his gun at foley the nice yellow orange background lighting of the mansion it's a good hallway shot but shows a lot of the the stairwell and everything else in in the mansion i just thought that was a really well lit well well framed shot so i like that scene a lot as far as best scene of the movie andrew what was your favorite plot point or acting oh geez we talked about that a lot i i i have a scene that i think uh, is probably overlooked a lot in this film but it's ving rames and 
George Clooney in the hotel right after this has happened. He's kind of look re, he's looking through her wallet and Ving Rames chucks him a beer and he misses and it flies out the window. He's just like, Jack, like he just, he, he misses it. And I don't know why, but I just love that scene. It is not, it should not be on anyone's top favorite scene of this movie, but I just love it. So I, I it. had to put that one. Yeah. No, you're allowed. Yeah, that was that was a fun scene. I I wanted more of that with Ving Rhames because he can be very funny. Uh, Brian, yes, what's can. your best scene? I'm taking you back to the the hotel sequence again, and it's really they intersplice them talking to each other in the hotel bar with them talking to each other and maybe a little bit more than talking to each other inside the hotel room so specifically before they do you know i'll show you mine if you show me yours you know back and forth but really just as they're talking how the the dialogue continues and is seamless but it shoots back to them being in the bar alone in the bar alone in the bar alone and i really love how that was done yeah, yeah, that's where that might be a a point to Soderbergh's editing and and cutting. That mm. was good. For me, we talked about it earlier, but I really like the first bank robbery. I thought it was a great setup. It shows you that Foley's clever. He's suave. You know, he's he knows how the bait in banks work. So it's establishing that career criminal. I still don't get the car choice at the end. But everything set up, you know, the poor guy with the briefcase open, the teller, I just loved everything about it. It's like, okay, this is George Clooney being George Clooney, who is very, very smooth. Agreed. Yep, love it. Best wardrobe and makeup moment. Andrew? Uh, This is kind of a tough one for this movie, I think. But I'm going to say, well, two things that I've heard. One, I heard Clooney doesn't wear makeup in movies because he doesn't have to um, really yeah uh now uh, that you might need to research that a little bit but i read that and i'm like son of, what a jerk and right that's <laughs> that's really unfair and uh and i love his so suit you are pretty yeah he's very pretty i like his suit with that red on the inside i don't know why but it I just do i do yeah. i was sitting there thinking like man i wish he'd still get stuff like that i'm sure you can <laughs> I'm sure you can, but it wouldn't. It, yeah, I just wouldn't be able to wear it like he does, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Brian, is that uh, is that what you're going with as well? Your best order of the red suit? I, I just want to say suits in general. I I think that you know one of the quotes that are, are re, is underratedly really important to this film is you really wear that suit. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I'm gonna flip this on its head and gonna be a dog on with a bone here but i'm gonna make this the worst wardrobe moment and it, it's not for a lecherous reason but i just the pantsuit in the bathtub scene just struck me as the oddest decision just show like clothes hitting the floor or something and then you could just have her back if that's a concern but just it bothered me and maybe i just associate pantsuits with hillary clinton <laughs> but it just made that so much less sexy well, uh, oh, the I, pants I suit of, is what ruined it. I thought you meant it ruined yes. it because she got in the tub with it. That would ruin. No, well, it is. It is. It, she got in the tub with a pantsuit. I'm like, this is supposed to be sexy, but I've got Hillary Clinton stuck in oh, my head. And yeah. I, just, <laughs> I felt it was sexy I, the fact that she didn't care about her 
suit, which is probably expensive because all she cared about was getting in that tub with Mr. George Clooney. So, oh, but she will care. She will care when she gets she'll care later. She'll be like, what was I doing? It wasn't even that good. But I mean, she, she <laughs> in the moment and in the fact that it's a dream makes a difference. And the, and the fact that she's getting in and not caring about that, I think is what makes it important is that she doesn't care about the suit in this case. Again, dog with a bone. Yeah. And I think if, if Sarah had watched this with me, she wouldn't have been able to let that go either. Like, take off the pantsuit. Don't get that wet. No, now you're going to be soggy and miserable. <laughs> Chad, <laughs> this you, is where my mind. Chad, you sound like the wife in uh, American Beauty. <laughs> Chad, you're about to get yes. beer on the couch. Who cares? <laughs> no, no, I, I'm with her. I support that woman. So, yes. <laughs> always be cleanly when you're having sexy dreams or whatever else like just just take off your clothes before you get in the bathtub fine uh moving on <laughs> change one thing andrew my change one thing and change one character was similar even if you left louise guzman in this one just make him not say no got a pee pee got a pee pee oh no that was that was to me was kind of stupid take that out <laughs> All right, a little bit more serious character from Luis Guzman. That's a that's a big demand that's, from the guy big... who was showing you the goat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you know, I could have used a little bit more suspense in the ending. You know, Cl- Clooney really comes out being the smartest guy in the room, and it shows. But I feel like for a movie of this caliber already a little bit more i i could have been a little bit more on edge with the ending than i was mm. Mm. yep yeah i i too wanted a little bit more tension and suspense yeah i'm gonna change a bigger thing though to get that i know this is one of the sexiest movies of all time but i actually thought the the romance portion was unnecessary oh. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm i'm just gonna I'm the guy that they call for the Valentine's Day flicks, but I am just going to take this one out. I'm for like a begrudging respect with Jennifer Lopez and uh, George Clooney and their characters. I feel like this movie might work better as a chase flick. She can still have that respect and maybe even a subtle attraction, but I thought they leaned too hard into it. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. It gets it off all the lists and then just becomes the the 56th or whatever movie of that year and probably in an obscurity. So what do I know? Oh, it's already in the obscurity place. Yeah. Yeah. Although George Clooney says this is one of his favorite roles. He really promotes this movie. I think it's because it was so important to his career. But he said uh, he was like four pages into the script when he called and said, hey, I want this. I want this role. So, yeah, he's he's really excited, and he's a big proponent. So, Clooney likes it. Best quote of the movie. Andrew, you've alluded to this, but you want to unleash it on us? Here's the thing. This 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 movie misses a lot of points that we talk about tonight. Like, maybe not great, always great lighting or cinematography or wardrobes or anything like that. One thing it, I think it does have is quotable moments in it. If I'm going to pick my – I'll pick my favorite. There are a couple that I, I've written down, but it's Jennifer Lopez's dad who looks at her boyfriend who's got his, you know, FBI shirt on and looks at him and goes, Hey, Ray, do you ever wear one that says undercover? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, No. 
uh, so deadpan, but I just I think that's it's just hilarious. Yes. Yeah. There there are there are a lot of good quotes in this movie. I will give it that. Uh, Brian, what about you? I went with uh, Samuel Jackson. I prefer to think of it as an exodus from an undesirable place. Um. <laughs> He's in it very briefly, but yes, it was weird. That was a weird choice. I mean, now maybe looking back now to have Samuel Jackson in it, but it seemed weird. Like he didn't look at the camera ever. He's looking all over the place. He's a bit shifty, but it was. I think that was just maybe payment or payoff for the fans. It's another Jackie Brown nod too. Right, yeah. I feel like that's where it came from. And Samuel L. Jackson agreed to do it for free. So, you know, there's that. For me, we host a podcast, so I had to go with this line. This fellow holds you hostage and you talk about movies? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even in 1998, they were prepping for the Retro Movie Roundtable. So, so that's... Perfect. Uh, yes. All right, Andrew... It's been fun. We'll give you some time here to plug your podcast, get people to listen to classic film jerks. So you want to give it one last plug? Yeah, awesome. First of all, I want to thank you for having a crossover between us and classic film jerks, which you can find anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, Classic film jerks is really what it says. It's a bunch of guys who are watching movies, haven't seen them watching movies for the first time and trying to look at them in the light uh, or the eye of the every man. So please go and check us out. That'd be great. Yes, please do. And thank you so much for coming on our show. It's been great. Now it's time. We're going to let people know what you thought of this movie. I want a five star scare with half star intervals. Andrew, what are you given out of sight? I, I have to give out of sight a four. This is a very high score because I, I went between three and a half and four, but I've recommended this movie often to people and usually lands. And as you mentioned before, Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Lopez in a movie before she became annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was still Jenny from the block. Yes. Yes. All right. That's fair. Brian, how about you? You know, this is something I'm coming back to after probably several decades of not seeing it, and I'm kind of on a second honeymoon with it at the moment, so I'm going to also give it a four star. I would. I'd recommend this to anybody to watch, and I think it's got enough facets to it and enough genre differences uh, that really anybody can enjoy it. Okay. Well, I'm not going to be anybody. I have to give this a two. And Ouch. I, I think I have to go back and watch this with my wife. Maybe it'll rescue it a little bit, you know, see see what that produces. But for me, it didn't work. A lot of the cast seemed miscast. I didn't like the Luis Guzman cast. Didn't particularly like Jennifer Lopez here. Really didn't like Don Cheadle in this role. So it's just like, all right, I like George Clooney and very little else that's going on here. The romance just didn't work for me. So for me, it's a two-star movie. Might be one that I've revisited and warmed up to or have fond feelings for. Like I said, I, I will probably try this with my wife and see see where it goes. If she likes it, she does actually like the crime movies. So if you mm-hmm. throw in crime and romance, maybe maybe this gets up to like a three, three and a half stars if it gets so a good snuggle. Are you giving your wife one star right now? <laughs> Just kidding. Am I? Yeah. You're a two. You think... If she makes a three, you're giving your wife one star. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, I have watched so many. This is why I'm on our Valentine's Day episodes, because I have just watched a horrifying amount of uh, romance movies. It's my wife's genre, along with animated movies. So sometimes we get a combination of animated romance. Yep, that's uh, I've seen horror and romance. <laughs> nice. Brian, do you want to help us pick a movie for next time? Let's go. Right. We have, for option number one, from 1993, Meteor Man. A high school teacher from a troubled inner-city Washington, D.C. neighborhood becomes a super-powered hero and takes on the gang that has been terrorizing his streets. Option two is Blank Man from 1994. A simpleton inventor becomes a superhero with a bulletproof costume and a low budget. Option three, Steel. 1997, a scientist for the military turns turns himself into a cartoon-like superhero when a version of one of his own weapons is being used against enemies. So we've got a low-budget superhero theme for next week. Brian, what are we going to talk about? All right, Chad, I think I'll pick Blank Man on that one. Uh, It is really, really funny. All right. Yeah, I saw this like at a slumber party in 1995. It's one of those things that just sticks out. Sounds about right. Yes. Yeah, I was 10, 11 years old. So it has been a good amount of time. I'm not going to tell you how much uh, I guess you can add. But uh, it's been two decades since I've seen this movie. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, Thank you again, Andrew, for joining us. It's been a great time. Remember all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, wherever millennials get podcasts, whatever the new generation is called. I'm old. Uh, Give us a like on Facebook if you still use that. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Remember, producing and providing this podcast is fun, but it's not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash retro movie roundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? What's Tommy? He tells people he's named after a gun, but I know he was really named after a famous 19th century ballet dancer.